Welcome to the podcast of data and analytic in business. We will learn from the leading industry experts using data and analytics to solve the problems and create values in practice. We will also learn where the industry is heading to and how data and analytics will shape the industry in the future. Most importantly, how they are preparing their business for digital transformation and disruption in the future. I'm your host, Jason Tan, and thank you for listening. In this episode, we got Wes Lambert, who is the CEO of the Restaurant and the Catering Australia. It is the National Industry Association representing the hospitality industry of Australia. RNCA represents more than 40,000 restaurant, cafe, and catering businesses across Australia. Wes will share with us how the industry are using technology, data, and analytics to improve their business operation and also their business revenue. More than that, we will also go into the detailed discussion how the digital platforms such as Uber Eats, Menulog, and Deliveroo are benefiting and helping the restaurant and how businesses could rely on this platform as their marketing channel. Wes believes that the technology is here to stay and the restaurant should follow where the customer want them to go and how they should use the technology such as this food delivery platform to run and operate their business and market to the customer. If you want to understand how technology, data and analytics are now modernizing the restaurant and the hospitality industry, this is the episode not to miss. If you got any question for me or Wes, send us a voice message. Thank you. Hi, Wes. Thank you so much for coming to the Analytics Show podcast. Great to have you here. You're absolutely welcome. <laughs> now, I want to have a chat with you today about the use of the technology and the data and the analytics in the hospitality industry. Why don't we start the light? Please share with us about the book that you are getting published and what the reader can expect from it. Well, I'm going to show you, even though they can't see me holding up the book, it has come in print. The title is Saving Hospitality One Venue at a Time, The Seven Pillars to Pivoting Your Business Through a Crisis. And basically what I do is drawing upon my over 30 years of hospitality experience and most recently as the CEO of Restaurant and Catering, lobbying local, state, and federal government for changes ranging from industrial relations to, as recently as this week, working with the New South Wales government on the restrictions that were announced today to restaurants in New South Wales. And in this book, I very much lay out some industry key strategies to pivoting through a crisis, as well as sharing some stories from other hospitality leaders in Australia and abroad who have pivoted through many different types of crises to ensure that their businesses survive and thrive into the future. Gustav, I think your practical experience and also being the CEO of the uh, Restaurant and the Catering Association would certainly be helpful in advising a lot of those restaurants. My question for you is then, what does the role of a CEO of the RNCA, Restaurant and Catering Association, entail? And what are your major responsibilities? Well, Restaurant and Catering Australia is an industry peak body. Peak bodies are the industry associations that represent the larger industries in Australia. 
Other peak bodies include retail peak bodies, hotel peak bodies, pharmacy, medical, accounting. Those are the peak body industries that you would typically see something like restaurant and catering. So we represent the interests of every restaurant, cafe, caterer, small bar, coffee shop, and function venue in the country. Now, they may or may not be members of restaurant and catering association. However, we represent their interests. And so many members will tell us that they join because they want to have a voice in how they're represented to the government. So the main role of restaurant and catering is advocacy. And advocacy plays its best role and its best part during crises. And Australia has been going through a crisis almost for a year now. We had the worst drought, then bushfires, then floods, and now pandemic. And that is when industry associations shine, is when businesses need that advocacy. They need us to be representing them to the government for things like JobKeeper, for things like the $554 million stimulus package in Victoria with $30 million for hospitality. It's things like industrial relations and sitting on the wage lobby groups, working towards solutions to simplify the restaurant award. It's things like ensuring that the regulations during the pandemic are not too onerous. So in states like Queensland, there's a checklist and industry plan that businesses fall under. In New South Wales, we work very closely with the government on their COVID safe plans, the same in Victoria, the same in South Australia. Western Australia had the AHA, which uh, took most care of that uh, of the industry on the West, the same in Northern Territory, which doesn't have very many restaurants. And Tasmania also picked up some of our COVID safe best practices. So ultimately, my role is running all of that. So we have multiple departments. We have our membership, which is not only getting new members, but it's also managing and relationship management with those members, as well as providing them with information on a first line. Uh, And those are offices in every state. Then we have partners and sponsorship department, which uh, deals with our business partners who work alongside restaurant and catering to decrease the costs for restaurant members and the industry in total. We have our training and education department, which delivers micro-credentials. We're also an RTO. So I'm the CEO of an RTO, ASQA compliant. And they also tender for our projects that we work on in every state in Australia. We have policy and IR department, which uh, is the government relations and advocacy we talked about, as well as the industrial relations side. We are an industry body that's regulated by the ROC. We can argue in front of fair work. And finally, we have then the administrative function, which is accounting finance and head office function. And so I run each of those departments. They have heads that manage them, but uh, I'm the leader of that group of people. My major duties are ensuring that the vision and mission goals and objectives of restaurant and catering are met and reporting directly to the board. I get very, very busy in times of crisis today, especially with some announcements out of New South Wales and certainly spend a lot of my days uh, dealing with things that come at restaurant and catering quickly, but also planning and working on things that are more long-term for the association. I think it's good to have the association looking after their interests. And I know that you are serving as an advisor 
to help Queensland in recovering the economy and also New South Wales in building a world-class 24-hour economy. Do you think both state governments see digitization and data playing a vital role in achieving their objective? So I have said this all along that uh, technology is here to stay and that businesses need to uptake that technology. And I, I'll make an example in my book of that. At the beginning of World War II, all planes were propeller-driven. And just a few years later, all planes were jet engine-driven. And while there are still propeller planes, where would we be as a world, as a country, if we didn't have jet engines? And so don't be a propeller. So when a crisis is presented to you, whether it is self-made or whether it is an outside crisis like a pandemic, you have to become a jet engine. And when people are locked down in their homes, when your bums on seats capacity is limited, when there are restrictions in place that require businesses to think about different revenue channels, technology must be used, must be taken up in order to become that jet engine. Great stuff. So over the last five years, we have seen a wave of digital platform in serving the hospitality industry. Now, from the customer perspective, this includes the food delivery, ordering, table booking, etc. How the industry as a whole is feeling about all this innovation now? It is an interesting phenomenon, technology and disruption, and how businesses deal with that disruption. Ultimately, it's consumer-driven. So pre-COVID, about 8% of all restaurant revenue was delivery, and there were about 4 million people that had some type of delivery app on their phone. Currently, today, less than a year later, there are 7 million downloads of some type of delivery app. And there was a peak where nearly 100% of all restaurant dining was delivery. That's takeaway, self-delivery, or app delivery. And it has settled down to about between 25 and 30% of the industry, depending upon what jurisdiction you're in. And this is because consumer behavior has changed. It takes approximately 66 days to change a habit. And since the lockdowns and the restrictions have been going on for months, consumers' patterns, consumer behavior, uh, they've changed. Their habits have adjusted to the new normal. And so it's very important that restaurants, even restaurants that swore that they would never do any kind of delivery or uptake any technology whatsoever must become a jet engine. You cannot stay a propeller. Ultimately, if the consumer wants it delivered, even if you're fine dining, then you must pivot your business to deliver your product the way consumers want it to be delivered. Now, that can be in many formats. It can be as small as a QR code on your restaurant table so that your customers can order directly from their mobile devices so that there's less interaction with servers at or near the table to devices on the table like me and you where you bring your smartphone close to that device, the menu pops up and actually you can order and pay and split the bill any way you want to. Hungry, hungry, 
Mr. Yum, all very good technology for in-restaurant and for getting that menu popping up on your phone. Then you have self-delivery apps like Bobble, where the restaurant has a lot of control over the delivery process and uses that third-party app just to process the payment and to have a menu for their customers. Now, self-delivery requires that the restaurant advertises to all of its potential customers that it's on that platform. So there's a cost to that. It also has to then pay some small percentage for the app and the payment processing. But then it also has to pay for the delivery. It needs to have employees that work for that business to deliver. And they have an hourly cost. So today, the lowest hourly cost for an employee is about $25 an hour, which means if they can deliver three deliveries an hour, each of those deliveries costs $8. So there is a cost of doing self-delivery. Now, that employee can present your product exactly how you want it presented. They can turn up in BMWs, like is the case in Gambar to go in Brisbane. Certainly, there is more control. However, there is less reach because you are only able to reach customers that already know your business, that already know that you're on that platform, or the limited advertising that those platforms do of the businesses that are on them to the outside consumer. So that's the pros and cons of the self-delivery. The large app delivery, the Uber Eats, the menu logs, the deliveroos, they have recently brought all of their commission percentages down. Uber Eats came down uh, 5%, 5.5% for restaurant and catering members. And now the products that they have, those three companies, range from, the, from 8% to 30% commission. One of the main concerns that we get is that it's too expensive. But all three of the large delivery apps now allow you to put any menu you want to on their app. So you can put your high margin menu or your, your easy to make menu on the app and remove the other items. In addition, they allow you to change your prices for delivery different than dine-in, which then allows you to make up some of the commission in the app. So a customer who's ordering a $10 hamburger in your venue or a $15 hamburger in your venue might pay $13 or $18 in the app, and that covers some of the cost of that commission. So what you get with a large app is reach. Of the 7 million consumers that have delivery apps downloaded on their phone, 90% of those are large delivery apps because they see them on the side of buses, on billboards, on TV. And so ultimately, you're getting huge amounts of marketing for your business that you don't have to pay for. Ultimately, the costs are very similar. You need to decide as a business which route that you would like to take, whether it's small app delivery or large app delivery. I agree. I think that marketing versus the cost is something that they need to take into the consideration. I suppose the question I have for you is, how do you think the restaurant and the catering business could best balance the reliance on this platform, i.e. the balance of the takeaway through the platform versus driving the customer to dine in or come in to do the takeaway? Have you seen how people are doing that the best way so far? How a business, how a restaurant is 
driving customers to which direction they should. Ultimately, you should embrace that your customers are going to uptake your business in all platforms. So they're going to have some dine in when they can. They're going to have some takeaway when they can. They're going to have some delivery when they can. And if you have any other products to sell them like grocery or cooking classes or bespoke experiences or gift cards, ultimately you have to meet your customers where they are. You can't say, customer, you can't experience my restaurant unless you're sitting here. Because if the state government or the federal government locks down your state or the country, well, then you've immediately ensured that you'll have zero customers. So we have a member, Mercer's, in Victoria, just outside of Melbourne. He got very good at takeaway and delivery fine dining. And he would package it very well in the takeaway containers and then put up a five-minute Facebook video on how you should unpack those containers, plate it, finish off the main and plate the dessert and even gave examples of putting candles on the table and ensuring that you dine in a way that was commensurate with sitting in the restaurant. And he was wildly successful. And he was because he met his customers where they were. He wasn't trying to bring his customers to where he was forced to be. And so that's really the mindset that we have to get from going from propeller to jet engine is there is now a place for all revenue channels in a business, and you can't force your customers to pick one. You need to embrace that if they don't feel comfortable being in public, if they want to be COVID safe, you have to embrace that they may want to be delivered to, or they may want to have a zero delivery and touch interaction, or they may want to take away, or they may want to sit in your venue, or they may want to see you preparing the food that they got as a grocery order. You need to meet them where they are, and you'll be much more successful, and you will survive the crisis that we're in now, and you'll thrive on the other side. I think at this stage, my best guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that most of these platforms are very much still keeping the data to themselves. My question for you is then, do you see the industry or perhaps the RNCA will have enough collective negotiation power to push this delivery platform in sharing the data back with the restaurant? I imagine this would be really useful for the business owner in optimizing their offering and operation. Absolutely. Ultimately, there are two schools of thought. Let's say you have a print newspaper or a print magazine. Yep. So let's say that I've got a magazine in front of me. I'll, I'll pull one up. I have uh, the financial review, the magazine that's in the middle. Yep. And there's, there's an advertiser right here, right? Lexus advertised in this magazine. Yep. And we, we've had print advertising forever, right? We've had print advertising for, let's say, a thousand years. We'll say a hundred and nobody can argue. Well, this magazine, this brand is owned by a company. Yep. And this company has subscribers, right? So people order this newspaper, it gets put on their front door. Has this company ever sent its subscriber list to Lexus? Has it ever provided Lexus with every single one of the people who bought this newspaper? No, never. Why? Because they're buying this newspaper. They're buying this newspaper. And because the newspaper has a brand... Lexus, which also has a great brand, wants to advertise in that newspaper. 
but the medium doesn't share the subscriber list with the advertiser. Yes. Now that advertiser paid money, paid commission to be in this magazine, to use the brand of the Fin Review. Yes. So it's that advertiser, that user of this medium is paying to be there, but would never expect to get a distribution list. It would never expect to get a customer list of this magazine. So when you look at delivery companies who spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to get that brand name out there into the marketplace, to get people to download that newspaper slash application slash magazine onto your phone so that you will go to Uber or Deliveroo or Menulog to order food from restaurants, why is it now that there is an expectation from the advertisers, from the users of that medium, that platform, that there's a forced situation where the medium is bad if it doesn't give you its list of subscribers? That is the fundamental question. So I don't disagree with you. I think that this phenomenon has existed forever. It's not novel. It's just no one explains it that way. It's not a novel idea. There have always been mediums or deliverers of information that businesses would aggregate to with their advertisements of their products to be sold. And for all of time, those mediums have not shared information with those advertisers of products. And so, yes, we're in a digital economy. And yes, it is important that information is shared. But those for-profit companies, even the self-delivery apps, which uh, are smaller, that don't share the customer information with the advertising businesses, they would very, very quickly lose their purpose. And their purpose is providing a medium for businesses to get their product out to the consumer. They would very quickly not be needed anymore for reaching customers. And you would have a disconnect where the medium, the newspaper, the TV show, the radio station, the delivery app would no longer be necessary because the businesses would want to contact the consumers by themselves, but then you have the logistics problem. Well, if I can contact the customers, how do I get new customers? How do I get someone who was 16 when a delivery app came out five years ago, who's now 21 and is going to become a consumer of that medium? And so ultimately, there's an age-old argument of the medium versus the advertisers and who owns the consumers that are using that medium and buying those products. And why won't the medium share more details so that the advertisers can advertise directly to people who are buying that medium or using that medium? But then the medium would have no purpose. The purpose is to get information beyond just the product out to consumers. And so I would say that restaurant and catering certainly would advocate that there is a way that individual restaurants can communicate with their customers in some type of digital format. So if a customer opts in, so for example, if, I'm, if I choose to download a delivery app on my phone, of which I have all of them, both the self-delivery and the large app, and I opt in for that app to share my details with restaurants or with businesses, all for it. Because it means the consumer 
wants to be contacted directly by that business. But if a consumer just downloads that medium, then it's a different story because ultimately the customer is interacting with just the magazine, not who advertises in it. And so there's not an instantaneous assumption that that consumer wants to be advertised by that business, right? So it needs to be an opt-in situation. And if we have an opt-in situation, then you can't stop that from happening. If I'm, I, as a consumer, want that individual restaurant that's four kilometers from where I am to contact me directly, then absolutely I should have the right to do that as a consumer, but also as the business. I think what you were describing from the marketplace and the platform perspective, that is what they call the leakages. So I, as the water goes through, it goes out because the restaurant or the seller would then want to contact the buyer directly. And that is how the leakage would happen. From the platform's perspective, they certainly wouldn't want to have that situation as you were describing. And I suspect that from the privacy perspective itself, the regulation, it probably would also stop the seller to contact the buyer directly simply because they have got those details. I suppose my other perspective of that is it maybe is not so much about sharing the subscriber details, i.e. the buyer details, that list of the subscriber but rather it's more about the aggregating of the data. As a platform, you have, they have thousands and thousands of the restaurants in the certain area that they would say, this is what we found from the aggregate data perspective that what works well in terms of the hour of the delivery, what works well in terms of the type of the food being delivered that is still stay warm when it, it is delivered to the consumer, it is that sort of the aggregate data do you think that the seller by the restaurant who used the platform would be able to expect sometime in the near future or the future to be able to have that sort of aggregate data in helping them optimizing? And I, I suppose the way that are, if we look at from the marketplace perspective then is what does one marketplace mean whether Uber, Menulog, or Deliveroo, it is something that they consider as a value-added service in locking in or in making the restaurant to be preferred using their services as than, than the other. I agree with you wholeheartedly. The whole point of having a large data aggregator, any company, is to use that data to improve its relationships. So one can't exist without the other. This magazine won't exist if there's no advertisers, right? Which is why so many print magazines are now out of print around Australia because the advertisers didn't want to advertise in there anymore, right? So an entire industry is dying, print advertising, because advertisers only want to advertise digitally. So printing is going away. But printing is an amazing employer of people and it's a great industry and it's been around forever, but it's dying because it's becoming a jet engine, which is digital advertising, SEO and smartphone and all kinds of things, targeted advertising, all kinds of changes. And so ultimately, delivery apps, both self and large, they can begin to 
predict customer behavior. And they can also determine what food types are missing or oversaturated in a particular area. So for example, there are lots of insights and lots of reports that come out of uh, most of the um, larger app, app delivery companies where they will say what types of businesses should open in a geographical area and what types of businesses there's too many of. So you might find out very quickly that there are 47 Italian restaurants in a five-kilometer area, but there is no Thai restaurant. Now, do I want to open another Italian restaurant or do I want to open a Thai restaurant? That's the kind of thing that you would never know if you were only talking to one restaurant. If you only had, if every restaurant in Australia had its own delivery app for that restaurant, you would get zero percent of that information. You wouldn't know what consumers are doing. You wouldn't know what the average time of dinner time or lunch time is. You wouldn't know how they spend their money. You wouldn't have any of that information. And that information, I believe, is shared back with the restaurant partners, both in self and large delivery apps, so that they can better plan their businesses. Because again, the reason why the medium of print is gone is because no one wants to advertise in it anymore because there's a better medium digital. So if the delivery companies don't get their act together and ensure that they are providing their advertisers, their customers, which are businesses with the best information at the best commission with the best extra services as possible, well, then something else in the future will replace the delivery companies because they will become propellers, right? And so that's why it's important for them to evolve and continue to do better and be better. And as they get bigger to lower their commissions, right? The reason I believe that Uber lowered its commission, its highest commission from 35 to 30 was because of our lobby, but also because their market increased and because of the crisis. And because more consumers got onto delivery apps, therefore their base was bigger, right? And so that's the kind of thing is the, the first of anything, the first Google glasses were $9,000, right? Now you can buy Google glasses and you can for you know, $900. And so the idea is the more consumers are using a medium, the more likely that that medium's individual incremental cost is going to go down because it will become commoditized. And so we have to remember, technology is here to stay. So we need to be pushing and pressuring and working with both self and large delivery apps to make sure that they are fulfilling those obligations to their bus the businesses that call them their medium for reaching out to consumers. Now, as the restaurants are becoming more and more technology savvy, how does the bigger restaurant group or chain, say for example, the Velocity group, the, the place that you used to run, use the data and analytics to improve their, their margin? So in a typical business, if you're break-even, meaning your bums on seats, your light retail or grocery makes you break even. You're covering all of your costs, your rent, your overheads, everything, You're the labor that you have. We call it base labor. And the cost of goods of what you sell, selling those items, and you're break even. And you start doing delivery of any kind, sell for large app, 
what are the incremental costs? The commission, which ranges from 8 to 30%, and the cost of goods, the cost of the food or beverage. What other costs are attributable to that increased productivity? None. You've already covered your rent. You've already paid the phone bill, the insurance. You've paid your managers, your base labor. Maybe you have a little extra labor. Maybe. But on incremental additional sales over break even, you make a much higher margin than you do on your first sale of the month, right? Once you hit that break even level, then it's just variable costs. So the margin on incremental revenue is much higher. And so it's very important to ensure that you're not trying to go to a more technological way of doing business until you get to break even. So if you think I'm going to be an entirely delivery or an entirely takeaway business and it has a cost to it, you're not going to cover your costs. You're going to be worse off. And so it's very important that your base business is break even and you're not turning to technology to save your business. You're turning to technology to enhance your business. I want to go back to the earlier of the conversation where you suggested or you mentioned some example where the customer would now be able to order the food directly from their food, scanning from the QR code, etc. And that limit the contact with the server. I know that is quite popular in Asia country, in certain Asia country, but it seems like the uptake of that technology is still rather slow in Australia and in many parts of the world. What do you think is stopping the uptake of this sort of technology? So it's dining culture. So Australia is a dining country. You can tell that in the coffee. Baristas are very well trained and there's no drip coffee. For the most part in Australia, it all comes from an Italian coffee machine. And dining is the same. Pre-COVID, 36% of meals were eaten out of home, which means that Australians love to dine out. And so the expectation of the typical Australian is a traditional delivery mechanism. I go into a restaurant, someone comes and takes my order, I wait, the order comes, they check on me, I want to order more, I have to wait till they come to my table or flag them down, I want my bill, I have to wait. And then I finish my meal and I go. That is how traditionally the process was in a restaurant in Australia. In many other jurisdictions, in America, for example, where restaurant wages are very tip-driven, servers touch the table many more times. And the businesses want the tables turned as many times as possible because it's a revenue versus costs situation. Whereas here, there's an award rate, which is 15 times high or 10 times higher than the U.S. minimum wage for a restaurant worker. It's actually quite crazy that in the U.S., restaurant workers can be on $255 an hour plus tips. That is one of the reasons why Australians prefer the traditional service model. In Asia, where technology is uptaken very quickly, these types of products to turn the tables over very, very fast with very few touch points, they become more commonplace. They're early adopters in almost all of Asia, very early adopter culture where they want the newest, coolest, innovative technology to drive their lives. Certainly a forward momentum 
in the area of technology. In Australia, here we are where we are, have been forced because of COVID to move very quickly into jet engine. And so when we, the restrictions are over, when the lockdowns are gone, when there's a vaccine for COVID, I do believe that many of the technological advances that have happened in the past six months will remain. Not only because they're more lucrative for the businesses, because they're able to turn tables faster or they're able to improve the customer experience for their customers, but because the customers will demand it. They will say, I want less interaction with servers. I want less interaction with individuals. I want things to be more instant and I want them to be less touch points. And I also want to be able to have businesses meet me where I am and deliver things to me or deliver me goods and services in the way that I want them to. And that has changed. And so I do expect that the uptake of technology and and using that data will certainly prevail in the hospitality industry in Australia. I want to go to the back end a little bit. The back end as in like the part of running the operation. Now, from the supply chain and the logistic perspective, there has been a rise of 3PL, i.e. the third-party logistic, and also the 3PL cold storage warehousing. How well are the restaurants in using these sort of services or to some extent take it further by integrating their data and their system with this 3PL cold storage warehousing and platform in streaming the entire business operation? That's a big question. Ultimately, because of the more traditional way that Australian businesses operated, uh, and also because the industry is very segmented and fragmented. Segmented and fragmented means that each segment of the industry accommodation food service operates differently and under its own rules and is very small to medium. 93% of restaurants, cafes, caterers, small bars, and coffee shops in Australia are independently owned and single unit businesses. They don't and wouldn't normally use any software or data or technology to communicate with their suppliers. They would be running such a lean business in a local area, mom and pop businesses, they wouldn't have a need or wouldn't think that they had a need to do that. The other 7%, they actually do it quite well. And they are the industry leaders in the country and and in some cases the world on integrating themselves in with their suppliers. However, unlike Europe, unlike America, unlike Asia, where private equity owns lots and lots of restaurant groups, this is very uncommon in Australia that groups will own multiple locations. In fact, I can count on one hand or two hands the number of large groups that are out there that own a lot of restaurants. There are some groups out there that have portfolios of pubs, hotels, restaurants in total, but very few have multiple restaurants that aren't quick service. Quick service is a standout of that. So our franchise, the franchise model, uh, that certainly is different than the restaurant model. And so there has not yet been as much of an uptake into the, into the supply chain integration that you're speaking about. Right. My next question is more on the RICA. Does RICA actively serve a role in educating the members in better utilizing uh, the technology, the data, and some of these things that we talk about in improving the business and the margin? 
So we do actually have um, micro-credentials that we're developing right now. We're calling them Restaurant 101, 201, 301, and 401 on how to better run your restaurant. From the beginning is 101 and how to open one to 401 is you know, how do you menu engineer so that you're getting the highest margin out of your restaurant. And you can only do that with data. Ultimately, we have some partners that we work with that will be helping us to develop some micro-credentials throughout uh, 2000, fiscal 2021 to deliver that knowledge to our members so that they can better understand how to keep a digital coffee card that ties the individuals that key in their phone number, that they're there for their usual coffee and their usual abo and toast, so that that business knows that they're on average on a Tuesday at 8 a.m. going to sell 72 abo and toasts, but on a Saturday at 7 a.m. might sell five. And so they'll know better how to order, but that's small data. That's just a POS tied to a digital coffee card in that business. Because I can tell you that a coffee shop on a four-way stop in a small town in Australia doesn't need big data. It doesn't need to know what the national average of avocado sales is. It doesn't need to know what's going on three suburbs away. It doesn't. It needs to know what are consumers doing in the four square kilometers from where it is. That, I call that small data because that's that business keeping data on customers that are most likely going to patronize that business. Big data is for larger groups that need to know large numbers like what is the national average of tourists from Europe spend on continental breakfasts so that they can decide if the trend of continental breakfast is going down or up based upon what Europeans are doing. That's big data. You need a lot of data points from a lot of sources to decide, well, are we still in continental breakfast world or are they coming to Australia to experience something different? Do they want an Australian breakfast? Because ultimately, you have to meet customers where they are, not try to drag them where you are. And so businesses can do that using big and small data. I suppose earlier on, you mentioned that in Australia, the restaurant industry is still not so much driven by the big group on the or even the equity on uh, type of the business. Perhaps because of that, like you were saying, that the uptake of the technology of that many of these is really rather limited and it is going to be limited unless we are moving into what is happening in the state in terms of that whole industry evolved by itself that would that be a right way in summarizing that? It would, yes. It would. That's a good summary. <laughs> Wonderful. So that brings us to my final two questions. What is your most important first principle? My most important first principle? Well, that's a, a long question. I have a lot of first principles. What I would say as a business owner is keep your eye on the prize. Okay, so whatever your prize is, your prize may be profit, or it may be employing people, or it may be being the best Italian restaurant, or the best Australian restaurant, or the best Chinese restaurant. You decide what your prize is, and if you keep your eye on it, then you will always get there. But if you take your eye off what your prize is, 
your prize, your business's prize, then you will get lost along the way. What is one book that you have read and thought it would have been better for your younger self to have? I have pulled this out. It's called the Superstar Roadmap. And I took a course at Harvard and this was the textbook. Uh, it was written by the professor who taught the course, Mira White, PhD. And I wish I had read this book when I was in my 20s. It certainly, in fact, I made many, many notes in this book and many highlights and certainly learned a lot about what I should have done many years before. And I think a lot of that turns up in my book about things that I've learned in the past about um, how, I, how anyone can get through a career or get through a business or get through life a little better. I think a few things that I learned from this book, but also have tried to practice for the years since I've taken this course, is knowing yourself and also seeking mentorship, which I find are very important. You need to know who you are and what your values and motivators are, but you also need to build a power base and have mentors that are outside of your partners, spouses, friends. They need to be business people that are either in similar businesses or different businesses that can really help you, uh, can be your compass that helps you to head in the right direction when it comes to running your business. I agree. Thank you so much, Wes, for sharing all of these knowledge and expertise about how technology are evolving in the hospitality industry. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.